This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Always delighted to have our next guest on at all. Even more fun when he's in the studio. Let's talk about Cody Rourke, the Broncos lead writer and analyst for Mile High Sports. And of course, uh, you can catch him all over uh, Mile High Sports, the Mile High Sports app. Also, the host of the uh, Locked On podcast with guest of Broncos Blitz. Uh, Cody is the man here for the Broncos on Mile High Sports. Thanks for for joining us on a Friday. We're only a couple weeks away from training camp. Obviously, it's been quiet for a couple weeks with the completion of OTAs. But what are the stories that you think will be percolating as soon as these guys hit the field? I think there's going to be a lot. And I think probably one of the more primarily ones outside of people looking forward to seeing guys coming back from injury is going to be, how does Russell Wilson look? <laughs> that's what, when fans are in you attendance, <laughs> that's the number one thing that everyone's paying attention to is, of course, what is Russ going to look like with Sean Payton? And I also think for fans, this is their first introduction really in person to seeing how a Sean Payton practice is operated. And look, me being around football as long as I have, I was, during OTAs and minicamp, I was thoroughly impressed with how he structured his practices because there were days last year when watching Hackett's practice, nothing against Hackett, where I'm like, ah, I just feel like they wasted a day. For Peyton, it's like there's a method to the madness. I felt like they wasted just about every day in training camp because there was no pace no. to any of the practices. It was it was a powwow. It was fun. Like it was, you know, even the jog throughs were, it, it, it was fun. Gotcha. Which, well, well, that, it was either a jog through or walk through. Yeah. There, there, there was no full scale high-paced practice, and when he said, well, this is what other teams do, he was referring only, if, if he was speaking on. factually, <laughs> he was referring only to the relative frequency of being in pads or out of pads. Yeah, He wasn't talking about the pace of practice because uh, nope. if he compared it to the one that said the 49ers do that. No, they don't. 49ers are practicing full speed all the time. Yep. And that's why they're consistently... When they're doing walkthroughs, they're, they're not walking through. It's Those are jog-throughs or full speed. And, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, taking nothing away from Matt, they're, they're just about everything in terms of credibility has been taken away from Hackett, at least as a head coach. But it, your, your point about Wilson is interesting because we were talking about this. And when you look at his numbers, and we won't review what we said in the first hour... But when you look at his contract numbers, it, it is not inconceivable that even if he's just a little bit better this year, and let's say they go seven and ten or even eight and nine, that yeah, they might take a big cap hit for a year or a year or two, but it's not inconceivable that they could move on from him at the end of this year. So that there, and my point being, there's a lot on the line. Oh yeah, this is a big year. I mean, we talk about pressure. I mean, I don't think that Russell Wilson as a player has probably faced more pressure so far in his NFL season coming into a year than maybe when no. he was a rookie because nobody thought because he well, signed no, Matt nobody, Flynn. Uh, everybody thought Flynn would be yeah. the quarterback. And remember, weren't they here practicing against the Browns or at least playing against them? I, I don't think they first practiced preseason against game. Him. Yeah, it was the, it first, was the preseason first preseason game, game and. I remember doing a post-game show that night, and a lot of people were calling and saying, boy, this Russell Wilson kid looks pretty good. Why didn't the Broncos draft him when they had the chance? Yeah. Especially right? when, he went especially when um, after Oscar. at the time, yeah. he was also a minor leaguer for the Colorado Rockies mm-hmm. nearby as well. 
one and John Elway's mantra, what people thought he was known for, was oh he he loves the tall quarterbacks, right? And that's why he went yes. after Brock. And right. I think there was some tie too between Brock and maybe his son at that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, I mean, were room, they were roommates. Now, now, he had some he, good in intel fairness, there. he did like Russell Wilson. Yes, but he liked Osweiler better. One hundred percent, and I think that was the concern too, because even when Kyler Murray was coming out for the NFL draft, or this was a year or two after he was drafted, I remember John Elway was asked when he was a GM specifically about shorter quarterbacks, and he mentioned just the heights of the offensive line, being able to see over those guys makes sense. Maybe that's how he evaluated things, because yeah, I mean, you you have to be able to see over your lineman, because looking at these dudes, I, I was at Justin Simmons at Cream Jackson's camp this weekend. Aaron Patrick without pads is a monster of a human being tall big it's like how could you see like if he's standing in front of you and let's say he was playing defensive tackle how are you going to see where the linebacker is behind a guy like that i mean to me it's crazy because russ is maybe one inch two inches taller than me and that's not by much i mean it's incredible to see what he's been able to do but yeah this is the most pressure i think russ has had on him coming into the season but i do think it gives the broncos an idea he's either going to elevate his game and get back to some of the guy that we used to see in Seattle with Sean Payton. And if he doesn't, then I think that's a pretty good sign because look at what Sean Payton has done over his career. He's gone through multiple years where Drew Brees was banged up. And look, they had different guys coming in and out of quarterback. He built game plans around those guys to still – they didn't miss a beat under Sean Payton. So if Russ can't turn around or Payton, there is like there's a question saying, hey, is he ever going to turn it around? If, if it gets to the end of the preseason, I know we won't. No, definitively. But will we have a sense based on how you think Peyton will operate in camp? Last year, you couldn't tell. No. Because nobody was running. Nobody played in the preseason games of any consequence. Yeah. With maybe one exception, one or two exceptions. No one played in the preseason. Do you think we'll know by eight weeks from Sunday whether Wilson is likely to make a measurable jump over last year? Yeah, I think I think you have to at this point. But I also think for Sean Payton as well, he's also looking at it. And this is also a storyline I believe is going to be critical. And we're talking about someone who's not a starter. I think the preseason and training camp as well needs to be the time where Jarrett Stidham proves that he's a true number two quarterback. Because if you brought him in the offseason to be the backup to Russ in the event Russ struggles or gets hurt and you have to have a guy step in, if there's questions that Stidham can't do that, then I think Denver's in a worse situation than maybe everybody thought. That's why they have four quarterbacks on the roster. But if Ben DiNucci or Jared Guarantano are looking better than Stidham, that's also a concern that I have because, hey, if Russ does get hurt, if he does struggle, you have no one that's going to step up and run the offense to the point, the degree that which Sean Payton needs them to. How much of this offense relies on the idea that Javante Williams will be back early in the season? I think there's a there's a, a big portion of it, but obviously that's where they went and they got the contingency plan with Samaj Piran, who they do view as if Javante can't start, he'll start. And I honestly, here's something that wouldn't shock me because Javante said that he still plans to run as violent as he always has, but mainly said when asked about being ready for the start of training camp, he says he's ready to go, but it has to be the team has to sign off on it. And he said that. Yeah. He said that. The team will make yeah. that determination. Yeah, and so for... I. I if Javante is still making gradual steps, which for the, the progress he's made coming off the injury he had, tremendous. It's great progress. But let's say he's not ready to start week one. We could maybe see him in a little bit of a diminished role at first just so he can get his legs underneath him at that point and Samaje starts. We haven't talked about this much because it's been a while since the Broncos have actually employed a legitimate fullback with, with the plan <laughs> of actually setting up block, doing fullback type things. Uh, but 
Sean Payton likes those players. Sean Payton mm-hmm. has had those kind of players. And they've added one in Michael Burton, who was with the Chiefs. Is there going to be a reason to expect him to have a significant role? What would it look like for Broncos fans who are conditioned to not seeing a fullback? Gosh, you almost have to go back to Howard Griffith in the day to, mm-hmm. to think about someone who made a difference. Yeah, Andrew Beck had a very interesting role last year. He was more of that hybrid Kind of like a wing back versus actually being like a fullback, fullback. I used to call him H-backs so yeah. here when Reeves was here. Yep. And so for Michael Burton, he's big, he's stocky. He, not only will he play on offense, but he's going to be a major special teams guy. I, I think there's going to be a big part of that because when we see Peyton get into these heavy packages, really this offense, to my understanding, if you look at what Sean Peyton has done, like obviously he's had really good passing attacks, but that's all been set up by the running game. And you look at their offseason additions on the O-line. I mean, even looking at a tight end they brought in, and Chris Manhurts, who is a big body blocking he's guy. He's He He's an extra offensive I mean, lineman who's wise. athletic. Yeah, size. and you don't need to bring in an extra offensive lineman now when you have a tight end of that capability and that size, but you also bring in a guy like Burton – that opens things up for you. Even if it's a one- or two-man route passing game, if you're running the ball and you're gashing defenses, they're going to be on their heels a little bit, and that's how Peyton wants to do it. He wants to wear defenses down, and then he wants to dice them up in ways you know that maybe they haven't adjusted to, and I think that's where we're going to see run first for this team to set up the pass. It's not necessarily all about Russell Wilson. It's can Russell Wilson operate in the design that Sean Peyton wants, which is run the ball, open things up in the passing game. Malik Jackson retired today. Uh, I know he didn't play at all last year, so uh, I guess officially his last NFL game was 2021. 33 years old, and again a reminder that Malik Jackson was a key guy the last time the Broncos won a playoff game, and he was in his mid-20s back then, basically starting his prime years. He had a terrific year in 17 with a very good Jacksonville team that particular year. Yeah that went all the way to the AFC championship game against New England and probably should have won that game. Yep, I remember. And Malik would have been in a Super Bowl again for the second team. Yeah, he's a good player. But it's a reminder. I I know he didn't play last year, and I'm not totally serious in saying this, but I almost wonder if the Broncos couldn't use him even at age 33 with a year off. You know, it's, it's, again a reminder of how many stars the Broncos had in 15 on defense. And now you look at a defense that people are forecasting will be pretty good. Two stars, Simmons and Sertan, that's it. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, you really need your edge rushers to take a step. But it's like you go back to that. 20, I'm glad you brought up the 2015 team because I actually just went back and watched that AFC championship game and the Super Bowl again. It was on TV. and it, Two it, better defensive performances you will never find. I don't. I don't How care do what defense that? you're talking about. Yeah, like that back to back. What they were able to do against, it against Brady, Brady and, oh. the, and the man who turned out to be the MVP in the league that year. Yep. Yeah, and, and the number one offense in the NFL that year with uh, the the Carolina Panthers. I mean, I remember going like going into that game. Everyone's nobody picked the Broncos to win. Everyone's like, oh, you know, this is going to be like Super Bowl forty eight. Except but, those of us who'd watched the play. Yes, that defense right. was unbelievable. It's like you talk about. Edge rushers, you had Demarcus, you had Vaughn, you had Malik Jackson, a defensive line. I mean, at your linebackers, you had two really good guys. At the time, we could call maybe elite backers and Danny Trevathan and Brandon Marshall. And then look, that secondary that you have, it they, they don't build them like that anymore. It's hard to. Which Remember, by the way, even the guy they went to before that, when they went through the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger that year led the league. 328.2 yards that, per game. That's murderous row quarterbacks. Roethlisberger at, at that, that point, point in time. Brady. Yep. Sheesh. And 
Cam Newton at that time, who was, who was the, MVP. the MVP of the league. When you think about it, too, they, row. he had to get through Philip Rivers as well in that Week 17 game. You know, you mm-hmm. had to. And that was where we saw Peyton come back. That season was like Hollywood written in a yeah. sense, the way yeah. that it ended, like Manning yeah. coming back in the after the halftime right. to lead the team. But no, Osweiler wasn't necessarily like the reason that they were losing, but they just wanted no. a spark. And then Manning no, and, took and, over. And, and they thought Osweiler lost his cool. There's a long story that goes into that. Yeah. But He's got a lot of Turned out well. Yeah. He even said, too, even turned in, out in well. his posting that his agent told him, like, don't answer John Elway's call, like, when they were trying to negotiate to keep him there. And he said that's one of his biggest regrets he's had so far looking back on it. But yeah, he should he should have. I mean, both both sides got stubborn. Yeah. And business. his benching was a big part of it. He thought they had lost faith. It worked out for him. But my rule of thumb is when someone wants to give me money, I, I take the call. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> I generally tend to <laughs> They didn't want to give him very just, much. It's just, a, just a rule of mine. I don't, I don't know how it works for most much. people. But, you know, somebody calls it like, I'd like to give you some money. I, I pick it up. I'm there. Well, Usually, it, yeah. He I'll picked up with Houston because they gave him a lot of money. Uh, they did. The The situation now with the Broncos, health, obviously, we look at situations. But I think I think the pass rush part, when we're looking at the difference, talking at that 2013 team, we're talking with Cody Rourke, our Denver Broncos lead analyst over at Mile High Sports. Cody Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle. There is a lot of projection on how this Broncos team is going to generate pass rush. Now, is, <laughs> is there talent there? Sure. But when you're talking about a guy like Frank Clark's best days are behind him. When you're talking about a guy like Zach Allen, a lot of that is is promise, not production. Yeah. When you're talking about Randy Gregory, again, yeah. promise, not production. Health has been an issue. Baron Browning is already hurt. Promise, not production. Uh, there are there are guys to like. Nick Benito may step up again. But who's actually? I shouldn't even ask you that because we know the answer. No one's actually done it. Yeah. yeah. Right. No one's actually been a Pro Bowl caliber rusher on the Denver Broncos yet. Is there reason to believe that anybody will emerge as one? And if to make this a good pass rush, do they need two? Yeah, no, you're going to need that. And you're not just going to need pass rush from your edge rushers. You need it from your defensive interior as well. And I do think we saw a little bit of it last year, but I think we're going to see the linebackers blitz a lot more, the inside guys. I think we're going to see a combination of Jewel Singleton. We'll see what Drew Sanders' role may be, but they're going to need it. Like you mentioned Zach Allen, you know, and, and the promise that he has. 25 pressures last year. You need that, but you need to carry that over into this new, this new team that you're with. That's great. Pressure is valuable in the NFL, but if Randy Gregory can stay healthy – you know, we saw last year in the four games that he started the season, he wasn't even football conditioned all the way at that point. He didn't practice at all during training camp because he had the shoulder surgery. For him to play at the level he was playing those first four weeks was nice to see, but health is always the biggest that, question. That's been his story. Yeah. And, and it's he's like, played he, well. At he's got to rewrite that. Always this year. And I think if there's one player that I think everybody probably needs to keep their eye on that out of everybody in that pass rush group, I think it's Jonathan Cooper. Jonathan Cooper is the one guy. I, I, I'm I with you there. I think that's one of the few guys who has the opportunity to really surprise. He, he actually, in my opinion, I know Frank Clark, Sean Payton said he's bringing him in as an outside linebacker. I would not be shocked if there's a scenario where we see Randy Gregory and Jonathan Cooper as the starters at outside backer, and then Frank Clark starts the other defensive end position opposite right. of Allen. In, in my opinion, that's what I would do, but I'm not the D coordinator. I'm not going to make that choice. But I think that's what would give the Broncos the best element of being able to stop the run while also being able to rush the quarterback. But we'll, we'll see how things play out there. But I think Jonathan Cooper is a guy, we, we've seen it consistently in the reps and when he's on the field, he is a guy who's creating pressures. And can he do that now in his third season uh, coming off of, you know, I think last year as a, as a key role player, his rookie season, Vic Fangio trusted him a lot and got him some playing time at a very crucial point of the season. And he had his real big coming out game against the Cowboys in that one game that shocked everybody. 
I don't think there's anybody who's covered the Broncos who doesn't like Kareem Jackson and doesn't understand what he can bring in the room, as mm-hmm. they say. And he is certainly a more demonstrative personality than is Justin Simmons. They're a good pairing together that way. But how much as a football player would you expect to get out of Kareem Jackson in 2023? It's a great question because I think everyone looks at year 14 and they're like, oh, 14 years. Like that's a, like for him to be able to play that long is Anybody, great. At any position. Kickers, that's a long 100%. career. 100%. I think him moving from, from corner to safety, I, I think that's helped out a little bit. But for him, he played 100% of the snaps last year. He takes great care of his, his diet is great. Uh, like I said, his body regimen and the body work he does in season off season is great. I don't think he's going to have that type of role this year that we saw last year. But like with the Broncos personnel they have defensively, there is a personnel package out there that does allow, let's say, Caden Stearns, Justin Simmons, and Kareem Jackson to be on the field at the same time. I think the dime package probably makes more sense where you could play Caden opposite of K1 in the slot. You can have Kareem there, or you could put Kareem in the other slot position and put Caden back there with Justin. You have flexibility Justin there. Simmons has covered in the slot before, too. 100%. So for me, it's I don't think Kareem will have the extensive role he had last year because I don't think he needs to, and the team doesn't need to put him in that position, but he can still have a valuable impact, even if it is at a reduced role this year. It is a treat to have uh, Cody here in studio and a bit of a sneak preview for all of you. Of course, the uh, Broncos Blitz will be back when training camp starts. I host that. That'll be a multiple-time-per-week podcast, and every week Sandy will be on and Cody will be on. So a little preview there. Can't wait to get going when the season gets going, and it's coming up quick, gentlemen. So it's uh, it's always fun to talk about it. We'll have plenty to break down as we get closer to the season. Cody Rourke NFL is the handle. Of course, you hear him all over the station and uh, check out everything he's putting together at Miley Sports and podcasts as well. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thanks, right. Cody. Well, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, let's face it, the Colorado Rockies are restarting the second half of the season, and uh, there's one number everyone's worried about. It's not number of All-Stars. It's uh, not number of games won. It's number of losses, and it's triple digits. Are they going to get there? How? We'll talk about it next. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Under normal circumstances, the New York Yankees arriving for a July weekend series in Denver would be reasons to be pretty excited. Uh, it, it maybe is, but let's not sugarcoat this. The Rockies <laughs> are 34 and 57. They are the worst team in the National League. And Sandy, this is this is where we are. If you want the Colorado Rockies to be successful again, if you want the Colorado Rockies to be a team that you can root for again and you can go down to Coors Field and actually expect to maybe watch a team that might win or might entertain you, much like I guess when you have to discipline a child who repeatedly makes the same mistake after you've told them not to, you should be rooting for the Colorado Rockies to lose 100-plus games. Because if there is anything, anything, and I'm not even sure that'll work, but if there's anything that hasn't happened in the Rockies organization that might embarrass ownership into making a change, it's the one thing that hasn't happened, and that's losing 100-plus. The quest for 100 losses. That's really what it is. 
It Unless is, you're quite frankly, it is if you're a Rockies working fan. If you're a Rockies fan looking long term, you need this to go right. south, right. more south than it already has. Here's the interesting thing. And ESPN did uh, a kind of post-All-Star break analysis of, of all 30 teams, and they put them into seven tiers, and we'll maybe get into that in more detail in a second. But they had a metric that they called uh, unexpected score. And expected would be 100. Anything over 100, you're overachieving in relation to what you were expected uh, to do. The Baltimore Orioles and Cincinnati Reds of the world, for example, yeah. Anything under 100, you're underachieving. The Rockies are at 99.9, which means before the season began, Right. Even not knowing how many injuries they they would have or how many bad breaks they would otherwise get. After 91 games, you can figure about 34 and 57. This, 99.9. This is basically what every Basically yeah. right on 100, which is be, be absolutely expected Everyone record. outside of Denver from the national view looking in that said, that, that said the same things kind of we did. This is who the Rockies this are. This is who they are. Now, uh, you know, the worst team in the National League. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were going to be either the worst or the second it was worst. It going to be them or, or Washington. Team, either Washington those or the, the Rockies. Two so, the those are the two hopeless teams, the no-hopers. Nobody expected were. the Cardinals to be close to that. All right. So, based on the record at this point, 34 and 57, winning percentage 374. If you multiply 162 games by .374, oh God, you get roughly, rounding off, 61 wins. Okay. ESPN projects... 59 and 103 for the Rockies. So even worse. And that's assuming they sustain this current pace. Here's the kicker, though. To avoid losing 100 games, the Rockies would have to go 29 and 42 in their remaining 71 games. That's a winning percentage of 408. Until you put it that way. If you think they're going (laughs) to win more than four out of every 10 games from here on out, even if. Some of these guys come back healthy and they play quite a bit better than they did in the first half. They're still going to lose 100 games. They're not going to go 29 this and 42 series, after Andy. starting 34 and 57. Look at look at this. I mean, tonight you have Austin Gomber going. Gomber has an ERA of 6.4. How he's 7-7, seven and seven, I don't know. That's, but, but that's anyway. basically the team's ERA. Right. For, uh, I at 6.47, which would be the second highest if it remains this high in Major League Baseball since 1990, exceeded only by the 96 Tigers, who had a higher team ERA and lost 109 games. Yeah. I mean, that's that's older than the Rockies even exist. That's terrible. Gomber has a 6.4. Connor Siebold is up on Saturday. He's 1-6 with a 6.65. Chase Anderson goes on Sunday. He's 0-4 with a 6.89. The Yankees, by their standards, are a mess. They just added Sean yes. Casey as their hitting coach. They are going to... I, I look at the Rockies that leave... Judges the, out. The, they leave the National Stand League in, LeMay, having in, in the worst possible yeah. way at a, at a minus 147 in run differential. That is the mirror image of the Atlanta Braves, who are plus 147, which is by far the best in baseball. Uh, in the National League, I should say the Rangers actually have 148 and the Rays at 149. But uh, th- when they're talking about the National League, the Rockies are a mile difference. Get this. The next to us team is 83 
with Washington. And then it's the Pirates at 46. The Rockies are 101 runs worse than that. The only two teams worse are the Kansas City Royals at minus 155. That's an eight-run differential. And the tanking A's, which I don't think should count because they're tanking. By the way, by the end of this weekend, the Rockies, mark my words, the Rockies will pass the Royals. Let, let me, they will be behind only the A's. Let me ask you this question. Who spends more, the Rockies or the Royals? The Rockies. Okay. That is factually true. I don't know exactly there what it is, but There are only six teams spending less than the Kansas City Royals. Of those six teams, all of whom, of course, are spending a lot less than the Rockies are spending, you have the Cincinnati Reds. First place in the National League Central. You have the Cleveland Indians, who I believe the Guardians, are in first, yeah, place. Now first place. I'm sorry. The yeah, Guardians. Uh, it. But yes, they're in first. You have Tampa Bay, first place, and Baltimore, best of the non-first place teams <laughs> in the American Four League. Four playoff teams out of the six that spend yeah. lower. And they're spending less. Wow. They're, they're, those wow. four teams are spending Rockies, less than by Kansas the way. City and a lot less than the Rockies. And again, this is the problem with the Rockies, Sandy, and, and we've talked about this before. The narrative that the Rockies don't spend money on their team is now firmly outdated. The, the Denver media, the Denver metro media market is the 16th biggest in the country. The Rockies have the 15th highest payroll in baseball. They are spending commensurate to their size. What's more, though, they're even over league average. The Rockies are spending $18 million this year, payroll of about $179 million. That's 18 higher than the league average. The Rockies have a higher payroll than the Cardinals. Now, in a bit of irony, the second highest paid player on the Colorado Rockies this year is actually Nolan Arenado, who's getting paid $16 million by the Rockies, and the Rockies spend... Uh, $17 million more than the Cardinals. So you can do the math there. But regardless, the Rockies are near the Boston Red Sox level of spend yeah. when it comes to their salary. Yeah. The, the problem is, and this is, this is even more problematic. If it was the Rockies knowing what they were doing and not spending enough money, that's fixable by spending more money. If, if you're doing, say, what, what, the, what the Reds are doing, and you decide that all of a sudden we're just going to spend, or the, or the Diamondbacks who are below average, uh, and you decide we're going to spend more money, your team's likely to get better. The Rockies actually spend the appropriate amount of money. They spend it but on they spend all it the wrong things. Right. And that's the problem, because this team doesn't ever look outside its own organization. They spend their entire time navel-gazing. They build a nice stadium. Look, the stadium experience is great. Going to a Rockies game, the stadium experience is fantastic. I get and it. And it, it'll be close to... A full house tonight, Even with T-Swizzle in the house. Right. Exactly. Right. But, I mean, you're talking about an organization that simply does not evaluate talent correctly, nor does it do a good job of evaluating the appropriate cost for the talent it's getting. And Back that's a our disaster. Point, making with, uh, with teams that do well in the program with, with the with Nuggets and the Avalanche. Teams in town who don't overpay uh, – when it comes to... I do not uh, blame Chris Bryant. relation to other players. No, I don't blame I, I, Chris Bryant I for said taking it with, their with, money. with Cody. Someone but, wants to give me a ton of money, I take the phone call. Uh, I don't blame Chris Bryant. But look, you, you've already won MVP. You've won Rookie of the Year. You yes, help ended the Billy Goat curse. Right. What else are you going to really do in your career? Nothing. Someone There's wants nothing. to give me $187 million for no right. expectation? Sign me up. Okay, that's fine. I don't blame him. But it... it Let's look I blame at the this. Rockies. There's actually a team I think in Major League Baseball with a lower, uh, with a higher ERA than the Rockies have right now. I think, yeah. I think, I think they're 29th. But look at the pitching side. 
I think they're 29th in ERA. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'll give it a peek. 27th in quality starts, which is a soft First stat. First in anyway. home runs given up, as in most home runs given up. Fourth in walks, as in most oh, walks. See, that you can't do. Last in strikeouts, which means most. Yeah, Oakland's got a higher Oakland's team. Right. But ERA. again, they're tanking. Yeah, right. Okay. They should even count. Okay. 29th in whip. I, I'm guessing Oakland's beneath them, and that's it. 20th in errors. I heard uh, or read Bud Black uh, quoted the other day as saying, well, we got off to a shaky start defensively, but since April we've been fine. They're 20th in errors. All right? And that, that's fewest errors. Which leads to, by the way, opposing so on-base percentage. They're 13th in most. Dead last, percentage. even behind Oakland. Okay. They're allowing opposing, and, and then right. by a gap, the, the A's and the Cardinals have, are allowing an on-base of 274. The Rockies are 285. Yeah. They're turning the average guy <laughs> into a 285. <laughs> 285. Yeah. Wow. Um, on the offensive side, the Rockies are 20th in runs, tied for 26th in home runs, 27th in walks, 7th in strikeouts, as in most strikeouts. Ugh. last in stolen bases, and that's been true from April oh. on through the All-Star This team break. gave up on running a decade. 19th ago. in slugging, and that's playing roughly half your games, of course. With right? guys that are obviously swinging for the downs given the strikeouts. in slugging, right. and 20th in on-base percentage plus slugging. 20th Quite frankly, in OPS, which would be 728 right now. J- just get your arms around this. 750 well. is average. They have a team on base plus slugging mark of 728 playing half the games at Coors Field. So it, it, you basically put them in any other ballpark. You'd have to take off at least 20 points from that, that probably OPS. And in yeah. most parts, you'd have to take off more than 20. So you, you're talking about a team... That look at their OPS on the road. I, I'm sure it's below 700. Their on base plus slugging on the road is, I'm sure, below 700. When they aren't playing in in this park, and I'm guessing in this park, it's close to 800. It is in, in this park. It is. It's a situation where this team, because everybody hits, is doing here. It's still the best hitters park in baseball. Literally, it's not even a. This is not even an exaggeration. They're literally doing nothing. Right. Uh, th- look, they have no strengths. The, the, the funny thing is, they have no strengths. I can look at a Rockies, a knowing where, where you play, no I can look at a Rockies pitching staff that gives up home runs and live with that as long as they're not throwing walks. If, if you're throwing strikes and not giving guys freebies, and because you, you pitch in Coors Field and they smack it out of the park here and there, I can live with that. That's the nature of Coors. But you can't be near the bottom in walks and do that. I mean, it's just, uh, it's. It is an embarrassment of a baseball team. And here's the funny part. Sometimes when you look at that and you say, well, geez, all these players need to play better. Uh, what, what, what players are dramatically underachieving on the Colorado Rockies? And I, I, I make I an honest question. Uh, Kyle Freeland is hurt, by the way. Kyle Freeland uh, placed on the disabled list retroactive yes. to July 11th. As expected, they were called uh, Tommy Doyle. Uh, Ryan Rollison, one of their uh, few, at least former prospects on the 60-day injured list. They do recall Doyle, and then they recall Michael Tolio, who was uh, up for a cup of coffee earlier and didn't look good. But who's who is underperforming? Underperforming. Okay, 
I, I, I'll run down the list of regulars, and, and you can tell me okay. yes or no. Okay. Ryan McMahon. Slightly? If he's underperforming I, at all? I, I, don't I don't think, think he, is. he is. I think he's doing about what you'd expect him OPS to do. OPS 811? Yeah, I, I think he's doing what homers, you'd expect him 45 to do. RBIs? Anything, I think he's overperforming. Right. By a little. Profar? Okay. Under, maybe a little under, bit. But, but then again, uh, what do you expect on a 30-year-old guy with a one-year deal? I think, I think he's overperformed. All right. Diaz? Overperformed by a mile. Right. Bryant? 713, maybe, yeah, underperforming. I mean, six home runs, but he's not played a lot. Here's the funny part. He's better than he was last year right. at this stage. Right. 769 for Blackman. He's got the broken right hand. Uh, Gritchick, overperforming. 811 mm-hmm. OPS, uh, hitting 294 on base percentage, 359, very respectable. Uh, Castro and Doyle can't hit, but that's not a surprise. I wouldn't say they're massively underachieving. Neither of them. Well, Castro's 29, and and Doyle was not. Crone, compared to last year, is way off. 7-11 with only seven home runs, and it seems like almost almost all of them came in the opening series in San Diego. Right. Right? And then you have Jones, who is not Uh, underachieving at all. He's been phenomenal. Probably their best hitter. Uh, Five home runs, 377 on base percentage. Uh, slugging at 479. He's very good. 856 on the team. He wins over a replacement. Wins over a replacement with uh, half the games of the other guys. 37 games, 1.2. Tovar's a 1.6 in 84 games. Diaz at 1.6 in 80 games. McMahon by far their best at 3.1 in 88. But Jones is at 1.2 in 37. So, you know, who's underachieved significantly? We can pick out more guys that have overachieved than oh, underachieved. Oh, sure. And when you're talking about pitching, I don't think Freeland. On a team that can't hit. I, I don't look at Freeland's four and ten. Freeland right. is, is pitching to a four seven two. I think that's a, a, at expectations. Yeah. Um, when you look at an overachieving, I think Justin Lawrence with a two seventy six has has overachieved from the expectations. I think Suter has overachieved from yeah. the expectations. I think yeah. Daniel Bard has overachieved from the expectations. Yeah, walks too many people, but overall. He's pitched but, well. I mean, you can't look at this team and, and say, wow, the, the, the players have just, the players have got to step up. These players, for the most part, have been who you expected them to be well, or even a little that, better. That's why ESPN that, says that gets hung on, more on than, management. More than any other team, they are exactly where yes. you thought they'd be after 91 games. Because it's all-star the break. talent that the management brings in. This isn't the players to a lesser extent, although I think Bud Black does have some culpability. And certainly as some has some expectations, but it's it's not it's less about the players. It's not really about Bud Black. It's about management who doesn't evaluate talent correctly and somehow gets surprised year after year that when they grab a whole bunch of guys at 31, 32 that have bounced around the league that nobody else wanted anymore, that surprisingly they're not all stars. One more quick question before we break. Out of these four, how many will be traded at or before the deadline? I don't even need the names. It better Crone, be Crone, Grichik, Hand, Suter. Better be at least two. At least two. I agree. At least. We will find out if the Rockies do that or not. You know, have, have a little fun at least with it because uh, over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. You can help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MileHigh, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus, which means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MileHigh. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MileHigh, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Again, there's a team from the Bronx in town. If you wanted to be so inclined to jump in with those folks at Superbook, because the team they're facing that 
plays on 20th and Blake. Ain't so good. Uh, we're going to look at the weekend and maybe even touch on a little bit of tennis. Sandy and I are tennis fans. If you've been watching it, uh, you're missing out. It's not on that early. You can get up. We'll preview Saturday next. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Taylor Swift in town tonight and tomorrow. So uh, it, put it this way. If you're not down there for the concert now, you are way too late. Get going. <laughs> you better get your butts down there right now. It's going to be a, a scene for sure. Uh, obviously, you know, have fun out there. Be safe. As I pointed out, I read all the... Uh, the stuff yesterday that you need to know, um, you know, same as the Broncos, except they're allowing friendship bracelets, which the Broncos made sure to note. I did not realize friendship bracelets were on the verboten list for Broncos games. Uh, so I guess you learned something in the inverse. But uh, in case you have yarn and beads and stuff and you're waiting uh, for Taylor Swift merch, uh, you, you can uh, get all crafty, and it's cool. They're going to be fine with it. I sort of can't believe that was... Uh, a thing they had to note, but okay, <laughs> whatever. Have fun out there uh, across the pond. Wimbledon will uh, complete uh, its tournament over the weekend, the fortnight. Uh, the big as, w. As they say yes, and uh, you're getting some interesting matchups. That the women's side so wildly unpredictable. Tomorrow will be Ons Jabur of uh, Tunisia taking on uh, Vondrasova, uh, who knocked off Elena uh, Svitolina. Yeah. Vondrasova unranked. Svitolina was a wild card. <laughs> uh, Jabur ended up being the, after toppling uh, Rybakina in the rematch of their final in the semis. Uh, the only ranked player really left, and uh, it would be a big moment because Jabur is the sixth ranked player in this tournament. Would be the first, uh, obviously the first Tunisian, but also the first person born on the African continent uh, to win a major in tennis of any variety, whether it's Wimbledon, sure. the French, the U.S. Open, or or uh, the Australian. So uh, a, a big opportunity there for uh, tennis to continue to diversify. And she is, by the way, uh, the heavy favorite, as was mentioned, finalist last year and the only seeded player left. But then again, uh, Vondrasova will have something to say about it because she's earned her way here, too. Over on Sunday, the men's side is a compelling one. Of course, Novak Djokovic, now the all-time leader in Grand Slams and still playing, if not at the peak of his game, very close to it, and the guy that plays well on grass will take on the number one player in the in the world, Carlos Alcaraz, the, the top seed in this tournament, and the 20-year-old player uh, who is less adept on grass, uh, oh, Spanish player. He was good today, though. He, yeah, much like... He uh, was very good today. He played as good a grass court match as you can play against a credible opponent. But could we see a changing of the guard here? Well, it, you have the best player, who is Djokovic, and the number one player, who is Alvarez. With and, and, you know, they played at the French, and uh, Alvarez cramped up at one set apiece. Early third set, he cramps up and ends up gutting it out, but losing 6-1, 6-1 in sets three and four and losing the match. They played one other time. Alvarez won that match. So they're one-on-one lifetimes. They haven't seen a lot of right. each other. Uh, one's 36, the other's 20. Djokovic at 36. Novak Djokovic won today over... Uh, Skinner, 6364767474 in the tiebreaker, pursuing his eighth title at Wimbledon, of course. And uh, Carlos Alvarez over Medvedev, 6363663 in an hour, 50 minutes. 
He was great today. He was electric uh, in the return game. He served well. Uh, he was a little shaky serving for the match at 5-3 in the third, uh, dropped a couple of points, was a little bit loose, maybe nervous, <laughs> just the opposite maybe, Remember, just he's, a little nervous. He's 20. But, but 6-3-6-3-6-3 against Medvedev, who a few years ago broke up a Grand Slam, single-season Grand Slam bid by Djokovic. That's a credible opponent, although grass is not his best surface. That's a credible opponent, and he smashed him. 3-3-3 three, three, and three in straight sets in less than two hours. So the cramping and the, the stress uh, of having to play on clay, long matches at the French, not a factor uh, now for Alvarez, who will be fresh on Sunday. And I would be shocked if he had any issues with, with cramps. Uh, I think the pressure's on Djokovic, who's got the grand slam on the line. Alvarez is going to win Wimbledon half a dozen times in his life, whether he beats Djokovic but you don't, you don't or see this not very often. on Sunday. You're talking about an age gap in this championship of 16 years between the it's two. It's not matches. something you see every year, is it? That's highly unusual. Any sport, any anything, a 16-year gap. 20-year-old uh, Carlos Alcaraz and uh, Novak Djokovic at 36 well, years uh, old. We'll the, find what, out. Uh, what, what this reminds me and of. By the way, Alcaraz does bit. not turn 21 until next May. Right. He just turned right. 20. Right. He just turned 20. So you're talking about a guy who until May was a teenager. And it reminds me a little bit, I don't think the match will go this way, of Rosewell and Connors in 1974, who played at the Wimbledon final. Uh, Connors weren't in straight sets, but it was not an embarrassment. Uh, I bore witness to the U.S. Open final at uh, Forest Hills in 1974. And it was, unfortunately for Rosewell, an embarrassment uh, because he was lucky to win. I think he won three games in a match. And Connors was at the top of his game. And Connors would never again play as well as he did in 1974. But that was – Connors was older than 20, but Rosewell was older than 36 but that's why, and in that's 1974. The of that, that was the last time I can remember such a big age gap between two and it can finalists, at least on the men's side. Being a t- a kind of one of those moments where the changing of the guard begins, and we'll see if that ends up happening uh, out in London. Of course, uh, uh, sad news in our sports media world, in which there's been a lot of uh, yeah, pretty pretty I, tough I, news I of late. Sad, but sad but, to uh, hear about Bill Reynolds, uh, uh, the great columnist from the Providence Journal, passing away at the age of 78. Uh, people forget Bill Reynolds was a terrific basketball player when I was growing up at Brown. He's a co-captain in the 67-68 season, author of Koozie, Last summer, the 67 Red Sox and the Impossible Dream wrote a couple of books with Rick Pitino and has a a terrific new book out. I'm looking forward to picking it up entitled uh, Story Days, Highlights from Four Decades Covering Sports. But he did more than cover sports. He covered politics, too, for the Providence Journal, uh, which is a great little newspaper. uh, And part of the reason it's earned that reputation uh, is due to Bill Reynolds, uh, who was... uh, uh, given uh, quite the tribute in the Boston Globe uh, piece on his passing today by uh, the great Bob Ryan uh, of, of the Boston Globe, who's still writing columns uh, for the Globe. And when you're getting praise from Bob Ryan, uh, you're getting praise from the best. And Bill Reynolds was up there with the best. And Ryan had a great line about him. He said, a lot of people, when Bill Reynolds first started, 
said, well, he just got a job at the Providence Journal because he's a local yokel there. He is a great star at Brown. Until they saw him write. And he could really write. So the idea that they were just hiring a, a, a jock who, who really couldn't write very well. Bill Reynolds wrote as well as any columnist in the country for the past four years. Well, in in happier news, uh, one of the uh, Denver Broncos of that we talked about a little bit earlier, Cody, uh, Denver Broncos uh, championship season of 2015, one of the underrated stars of that defense. Uh, yes, injured last year, and so uh, yeah. Malik Jackson uh, ends up retiring. But I don't know if you can have, and, and we, we remember that Super Bowl 50 very well, and you remember all the moments uh, that Devon Miller had, but the moment that really started it off, that made you realize, uh-oh, this could be happening for the Broncos. Malik Jackson was at the center of it. And the Panthers have a third and ten. Here comes pressure, and they've gotten to him. The ball is out in the end zone, and it's recovered by Malik Jackson for the touchdown. It was Vaughn Miller with the strip sack, and Jackson with the recovery. Nobody opened down the field fast enough, and Vaughn Miller beats Rimmers and the tight end to the right. Here it comes. Mike Rimmers just can't get there fast enough. And Cam Newton holding the football, looking to throw it down the field. A meeting here of the first and second picks. Goes at that point, yeah. by the way, were Jim Nance and Phil Simms right. on the call for and, CBS. And they were up 3-0 earlier in that quarter. Brandon McManus had hit a field goal. The Broncos were up 3-0. But that play made it 10-0 and started to indicate that you started to get the nervousness from Cam Newton that really culminated in the fact that, you know, that ended up not even really chasing uh, those, the football uh, and and finding himself really... Late in the game, too. Yeah, Pretty and, and uh, quite frankly, after that game... Cam Newton was never the same quarterback. No. And, and, and scant no. years later, and away from being MVP at a relatively young age, was out of the league. You're right. And, of course, the Broncos beat up Cam Newton on opening day in 2016. Opening night in 2016, of course, the Super Bowl champion. Denver uh, set to play Carolina that year, and they decided on a rematch in, in the opener. And uh, Carolina missed a field goal at the end of the game, and Trevor Simeon's Broncos won the game. Uh, by a field goal, and I actually started 4-0 in 2016 without Malik Jackson. But Malik Jackson was uh, always one of my favorites here, I think one of yours yeah, as I, well. Terrific, Great talker, terrific guy, easy to very talk Very nice to. guy, and uh, went on to participate in far more playoff games uh, after leaving Denver than the Broncos have participated in uh, since the 20, uh, 50th Super Remember, Bowl by the way, in that game, too, uh, the Denver Broncos offense scored one touchdown. That was it. And that was right at the end. And right. Benny Fowler caught the pass uh, for the two-point uh, conversion. For the two-point conversion, the on last the pass lunch. thrown by Peyton Manning. That's right. And otherwise, it was Brandon McManus field goals. And that, of course, uh, touchdown that you just heard there, Malik Jackson in the end zone. Congratulations, Malik Jackson. I remember feeling I, I, when Bruce Brown hit free agency, I, I had the same vibe Malik with Malik yeah, Jackson. Because Malik Jackson, because Malik Jackson struck me that year with all the attention to, to Von Miller, understandably. Malik Jackson struck me that year as a Bruce Brown type where he's a, he is a difference maker were on that they team. They loaded, though. They I were. mean, you had Ware, they you were. had they Miller, you had Jackson, you had Wolf. But as a result, I thought that, that Jackson was kind of that unsung guy that was really a big part of the success. And so even though uh, he left the Broncos, you knew it was going to hurt. I, I felt the same way that it did Bruce Brown. You know what? You got your title. 
You were a big part of it. Go get the big bucks. You deserve the big bucks. And Go get them. You know what? And he did. Went he to Jacksonville should have been he back in the Super Bowl two years later. Jacksonville should have won that game over New England. Quite probably. They should have. Uh, if I'm not, not mistaken, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator of that team. <laughs> Make of that what uh, you will. Uh, and calling plays. <laughs> exactly. uh, unlike his Green Bay experience where he never called yeah. a play. Uh, in Jacksonville, he was calling plays. And actually... Uh, Blake Bortles yep. played reasonably oh, well yeah. in that game, but they decided with 10 minutes to go to put him under wraps, and it was too early, and Brady led the Patriots back. But congrats to Malik Jackson on uh, a career without a Super Bowl ring, Pro Bowl appearance, uh, well-earned money and a well-earned retirement. Congrats to him, uh, one of the Broncos that I think uh, a lot of people will remember for a very long time, and rightly so, one of the best highlights in the history of Denver Broncos football. That'll do us for us. You have a terrific weekend. Be safe. Be mindful of the traffic around town. I know it's going to suck. The Yankees are in town. Taylor Swift's in town. Be patient. Be nice. It's going to be, you know, it's hot. Everyone's going to be on edge. Just relax, okay? Worst places. You're in Colorado in the summer. It's not that bad. Even if you go to the Rockies game and watch it, still not that bad. So be kind to each other. Have fun because we want you back here on Monday. Thanks to Cody Rourke for joining us. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making it all work. Thanks to you for checking it out on MileHighSports.com over the air or on the free Miley Sports app. Crystal clear in your pocket at your convenience. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Enjoy the weekend and we'll be back next week. Keep it right here on Miley Sports.